0: Our first reading today is an extremely well-known passage from Isaiah, foretelling the coming of the Lord. It speaks of great peace. The wolf shall be a guest of the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion shall browse together. It speaks of great peace, but it also sounds like a physical impossibility. It's the nature of wolves to eat lambs, the nature of lions to attack calves. But Advent is a season of hope. We have hopes for peace. We have hopes for what seems to be impossible. So before we continue with this Mass, I invite you just to stand for 60 seconds or so and think about what are you hoping for this Advent? O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This summer, I suddenly got the idea that I should sing a particular song from Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Schwartz's Mass in one of my homilies sometime. And I decided that the most appropriate week would be the second Sunday of Advent. However, after consulting with the music ministry, this was going to involve bass, guitar, solo, trumpet, uh, two lectors reading the second reading in the middle of the song, plus other people doing another two letters being read, we decided it was a little too complicated. However, I am going to share some of the lyrics of the song as we go through this homily. But first, we have some heavy theology to attend to. Let's talk about what we mean when we say the name Jesus Christ. Most of us here are familiar with talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a Jewish man born in Bethlehem roughly 2,000 years ago who worked as a carpenter, but eventually at the age of roughly 30 began to teach about a new way to understand God's plan for the salvation of the world. He was eventually crucified by the Roman authorities. We Christians believe that Jesus of Nazareth was and is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. But who is Christ. Christ is not just Jesus' last name. It's not that he was the son of Mary and Joseph Christ. Christ is the entirety of the second person of the Holy Trinity. When God the Father created the world, he created it through his word, let there be light. We believe that very word, before the dawn of creation, is Christ. It created us as human beings, or in the words of Stephen Schwartz, the word, for the word was at the birth of the beginning. It made the heavens and the earth and set them spinning. The word, for the word created mud and got it going. It filled our empty brains with blood and set it flowing. That word, Christ, is the word of the Lord that we proclaim in all our scripture readings at Mass, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's why we say, as we proclaim it, the word of the Lord, and we respond, thanks be to God. But that's not all. St. Irenaeus explained that God has a plan for how all of creation will be reconciled at the end of time. That plan, that very idea, is the Logos, is Christ Despite our sinfulness, despite our attempts to delay the coming of the Lord, because it sounds like a great idea, but not quite yet. Despite our claims that the very concept of God is an old-fashioned myth, God's plan for salvation moves forward. Or to quote that song again, For several million years, the word has withstood all our forums and fine ideas. It's been rough, but it appears to be growing. It appears to be winning. Jesus the Christ is the king of the universe, the son of God, and God's plan for the salvation of the world. But during Advent and Christmas, we seem to forget about all that. When we speak of Jesus as the word made flesh, most of us seem to envision envision a cute, harmless baby. But that word of the word made flesh is the most powerful force in the universe. There are people who doubt it. There are people who doubt it and shout it out loud. There are local, vocal yokels who we know collect a crowd. They can fashion a rebuttal that is as subtle as a sword. But they're never going to scuttle the word of the Lord. It's been said that the season of Advent can be summarized in eight words. Two words for each week. Wake up. That was last week. Straighten up. That's this week. Cheer up. Hurry up. As we hear the words of John the Baptist this weekend, it's pretty clear we're in the straighten-up week. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I had the privilege yesterday to visit some people whom many in society would say produce rotten fruit. Men housed in the maximum security pod of the Knox County Detention Center. That has not been my experience of them at all. I haven't been able to visit these guys for several months, and I've truly missed being with them. These are guys who, for truly tragic reasons, some of which were explained in the paper this past week, have experienced the axe lying at the root of the trees but they've heard John the Baptist's message to repent. These guys have found God in person. They are continually reading the Bible and studying the catechism of the Catholic Church. They don't know what the future holds for them, but they are committed to finding ways to bear good fruit for themselves and for others. Come to think of it, of course, some of the New Testament was written in prison. In fact, when we light that pink candle next week, it's a sign of rejoicing. And most of us usually, when we talk about rejoicing in Advent, we think of a passage by St. Paul that he wrote to the Philippians while he was in jail. It was there that he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, rejoice. Or as Stephen Schwartz says, You can lock up the bold men. Go and lock up your bold men and hold them in tow. You can stifle all adventure for a century or so. Smother hope before it's risen. Watch it whizz like a gourd. But you cannot imprison the word of the Lord. How about the rest of us? Surely the axe is not at the root of our trees, or is it? I think we're a lot like the Pharisees and the Sadducees to whom John was speaking. They were the experts, the scholars of the Torah. Here we are in the center of a university campus and many of the people in this room are professors, researchers, and aspiring, aspiring scholars. I told the guys at prison I'd be shaking my finger at you guys, as well as them. All you big men of merit, all you big men of merit who ferret out flaws, who you rely on compliance with your science and your laws, find the freedom to demolish while you Abolish some award, but you cannot abolish the word of the Lord. And when Jesus later criticizes the Pharisees for what they wear, well, who do you know that has wide phylacteries? I couldn't find any tassels today, but I'm, I'm the one who hasn't taken the advice, it looks like. And even those of us in the room who are struggling with college debts, Most of us have a lot of control over our destiny. We like to think that we're producing good fruit. But is it fruit for the kingdom of God? Or is it fruit to guarantee our own position, comfort, and prosperity? The word of the Lord is powerful beyond our imagining. It is far more powerful than any of us even if we delude ourselves into thinking that the goal of life is to become independent of needing anyone else. All you people of power, all you people of power, your hour is now. You may plan to rule forever, but you never do somehow. If we think that the goal of life is to control our own destiny, it sounds as if we'll never be ready to allow a little child to guide us. And so we wait in silent treason until reason is restored. And we wait for the season of the word of the Lord. We await the season of the word of the Lord. We wait. We wait for the word of the Lord.